Before we get into today's episode, I just wanna let you in on a little secret project that I have been creating behind the scenes. I've made a new channel called Thinkology. Currently, it's only available on YouTube and it is not available on podcast format yet, but we are working on that. So if you enjoy some slightly shorter content from time to time than what my channel produces, where maybe not everything is super sad or depressing all the time, then make sure to check out the new channel. Thinkology has five crafted series surrounding more topics than I currently cover here. On Mondays, we have historical topics. Tuesdays are for the spooky, scary, or haunted things. Wednesdays are for nature. Thursdays cover all sorts of crime. And we wrap up things on Friday with a variety show. Now, although I am not the one voicing the channel, I have gathered five talented voice actors to help bring these topics to life. And who knows, maybe I'll stop by and record a surprise script over there every once in a while too. So if you wanna support the channel, simply look for Thinkology on YouTube or check out the link in the description box. You might've heard that Christmas was originally a pagan holiday, but what about Easter, Valentine's Day? A lot of Christian holidays were actually pagan festivals or celebrations long before the church took them over. So today I wanted to explore the origins of these holidays and see what they're actually supposed to be about. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Prism of the Past. Today, we're going to be talking about where Christmas, Easter, and plenty of all their holidays originate. Also, as an aside, I will be discussing religion, some sacrifice, and things of that nature. As always, I don't care what you believe so long as it doesn't hurt people. The beliefs that I talk about in today's episode are simply those that are held by people within the communities discussed. And I ask for respect about them in the comments section if you're gonna be commenting on YouTube whether or not you agree or disagree. So let's get into it. start with one of the most obvious holidays, Christmas. Although many of us know Christmas as the holiday that commemorates the birth of Jesus, some scholars believe Jesus was more likely born in the spring and the holiday's origins likely come from the ancient Greco-Roman world. There's quite a few possible origins for the December 25th date. So we'll briefly mention some of the more well-known theories. One is that the rebirth of the unconquered son, Sol Invictus was celebrated on December 25th in the third century of the Roman empire. This holiday marked the return of longer days after the winter solstice. Historian Kenneth Davis says that this holiday was associated with many things we see in the Christmas holiday, gift giving, candle lighting, singing, and decorating houses. Even the custom of evergreen trees, which signal the return of life and light during the winter solstice too, he states. They started to hang an apple on it, so little red balls on green trees. Get the picture here? So all of these things celebrate the idea that life and light are coming back into the world, which is essentially what Christmas means to Christians around the world. Mithra, the God of the unconquerable sun was the birthday that the Romans were celebrating, not Jesus's birthday. This was one of the most sacred days of the year for some, though it was considered a hedonistic time that turned social order upside down as well. Some sources claim that enslaved people were given temporary freedom and businesses and schools were closed for a full month. Of course, Christmas didn't just happen in Rome, but in different parts of the world in other ways too. In Scandinavia, the Norse celebrated Yule from December 21st through January. Large logs were set on fire and they'd feast until the logs burned out, up to 12 days in some cases. According to one source, the Norse believed that during each spark from the fire, it would represent a new pig or calf that would be born during the upcoming year. 
In Germany, people would honor the pagan god Odin around this time. A terrifying being that made nocturnal flights through the sky to observe his people and decide who would prosper or perish. Apparently many chose to stay inside because of him, like a terrifying Santa, I suppose. All in all, the end of December was, generally speaking, a great time to celebrate. Cattle were slaughtered, so for many, it was the time of the year when they had fresh meat. Plus, most wine and beer would be ready for drinking after fermentation. So then, why were so many of these traditions and celebrations swallowed up by Christmas? Well, some sources suggest that Pope Julius I in the fourth century decided to institute the birth of Jesus as a holiday and adopt and absorb the traditions. First called the Feast of the Nativity, the custom spread to Egypt by 432 and to England by the end of the sixth century. By holding Christmas at the same time as traditional winter solstice festivals, church leaders increased the chances that Christmas would be popularly embraced, but gave up the ability to dictate how it was celebrated. By the Middle Ages, Christianity had, for the most part, replaced pagan religion. On Christmas, believers attended church, then celebrated raucously in a drunken, carnival-like atmosphere, similar to today's Mardi Gras. Each year, a beggar or student would be crowned the Lord of Misrule, and eager celebrants played the part of his subjects. The poor would go to the houses of the rich and demand their best food and drink. If owners failed to comply, their visitors would most likely terrorize them with mischief. Christmas became the time of the year when the upper classes could repay their real or imagined debt to society by entertaining less fortunate citizens. Other sources argue that Pope Julius actually wouldn't have had the power to impose this holiday on the whole of Christendom. Though the idea of him settling on a date that corresponds with the winter solstice is a widespread one. There aren't many references that definitively prove this. In fact, new evidence of our understanding of why Christmas is celebrated on December 25th emerged as recently as 2015, when Glenn L. Thompson translated some old correspondence of Pope Julius I. Apparently, one letter from Cyril of Jerusalem to Pope Julius I may hold the answer. In the letter, Cyril tells us that his clergy celebrate the birthday of Christ and the baptism of Christ together on the 6th of January. But he adds, they find this a pain because they have to start in Bethlehem, do the service for the birth, and then travel down to Jordan to do the baptism service. This, he says, they found burdensome and they had to rush the services. So he is writing to Pope Julius to ask if the Pope would consult the archives of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. These, he says, were seized by the Romans under Titus when the city fell in 70 AD and transported to Rome. Underneath the letter, the 9th century author then adds that the Pope did so and identified the 25th of December as the birthday of Jesus. So while the history of the Pope's involvement here may be debated, the outcome is ultimately the same. Christmas slowly gained prominence, especially when the Emperor Charlemagne was crowned on Christmas day and it's become a widely celebrated popular holiday. Of course, that's not to say there weren't any hiccups in the road. The Puritan government actually banned Christmas for 18 years during the 17th century, saying it was a wasteful, sinful festival. Apparently back then, drunks would roam the streets, knock on doors, demand to be fed, and threaten vandalism to anyone who refused. Charles II restored the holiday, but Christmas had even been banned in other parts of the world, like Boston from 1659 to 1681. After the American Revolution, English customs like Christmas did fade for a while, but Christmas was brought back around the 19th century and reinvented once again into a family-centered day of peace and nostalgia. However, just as much as we say that Christmas comes from a pagan holiday and was given religious meaning, the reverse is true too. 
The legend of Santa Claus can actually be traced to the monk St. Nicholas, who was born in Turkey around 280 AD and gave away all his wealth, traveling the countryside and helping the poor and the sick. There's actually a really fascinating documentary out there called The Real Face of Santa, which features a team of forensic reconstruction experts to use the skull of St. Nicholas to build a facial reconstruction that reveals his likeness. And this is pretty much as close that we're gonna get to seeing what the real Santa looked like anyway. From the origins of Santa, a Greek priest that wanted to help others and make sure other children say their prayers to the origins of Christmas, which swallowed up an entire Roman holiday, there's no denying just how much this holiday has changed throughout the years. In another aspect to Christmas, the practice of singing carols, which has also descended from wassailing, yule singing, or caroling, wassailing had many different forms depending on local tradition, as we'll see with more of these holidays. Revelers would usually go to local orchards and make a hullabaloo, usually by banging pots and pans, and were rewarded by the orchard's owner with a warm spiced alcoholic beverage. As for why on earth this owner could reward them for making a ton of noise, the intention was apparently to ward off bad spirits and to please the fruit trees. Moving on past Christmas, let's take a look at a few others and see if they too were adopted and altered by the church. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. There's not a ton known about it. Even the church says as much. According to one source, February 14 is commemorated as Valentine's Day or St. Valentine's Day in the calendar of the Anglican and Lutheran churches. Although in the Roman Catholic Church, it was relegated to local status in calendar of saints, removed as a feast day. Since apart from his name, nothing is known of St. Valentine except that he was buried on Via Flaminia on February 14th. Though there were several early Christian martyrs named Valentinius or Valentine, little is known of any of them beyond legend. In 496 CE, Pope Galatius added Valentine of Rome to the calendar of saints with a feast day of February 14, citing his martyrdom in Rome in 269 CE. And you'll find plenty of other sources that promote various versions of events in this version of events under the rule of Emperor Claudius II or Claudius the Cruel in about 270 AD, marriage had actually been banned. His reasoning was that Claudius was having a difficult time getting soldiers to join his military leagues. So believing that it was because they were too attached to their wives and families, he sought to sever that attachment. Valentine, however, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages in secret. Legend says that when he was in jail before being executed, he signed a note to his friend, the jailer's daughter, and wrote at the bottom, from your Valentine. But as we said, the true origins are unknown, and as sweet of a story as this may be, it's virtually impossible to confirm. What many do believe is that a holiday about a saint and love was originally a pagan festival of love, known as the festival of Lupercalia. Though, once again, the exact origins of this festival are murky at best, and it's been traced back to the 6th century BC. Roman legend says that the ancient king Amulius ordered Romulus and Remus, his twin nephews and founders of Rome, to be thrown into the Tiber River to drown in retribution for their mother's broken vow of celibacy. A servant took pity on them, placed them inside a basket on the river, and the brothers were not only rescued, but cared for by a she-wolf in a den in the base of Palatine Hill, where Rome was founded, apparently. The twins were later adopted by a shepherd and his wife and learned their father's trade. After killing the uncle who ordered their death, they found the cave den of the she-wolf who'd nurtured them and named it Lupercal. It's thought Lupercalia took place to honor the she-wolf and please the Roman fertility god, Lupercus. 
And that's how the name of the supposed festival began and sacrifices that took place. At least one male goat and dog were slain and then the feast would begin. The rituals might sound a bit unusual nowadays to say the very least. They would cut strips called thongs or februa from goat hide and then they would run around naked or nearly naked whipping women with the strips of goat hide. The goat represented sexuality and so the women actually bared their skin to receive this fertility rite. Also during the festival, men would choose a woman's name from a jar and be coupled with them during the celebration and often the couple would stay together until the next year's festival. Now, the festival did become more modest in time. Women were only being whipped on their hands by fully clothed men instead. Despite these fertility rituals though, which sure seem like they could have been transformed into Valentine's Day, there's historians that argue there's no relationship between the two at all. Without the whole matchmaking or love aspect or anything, this fertility ritual has a lot less in common with Valentine's Day. It's still possible that the idea of celebrating St. Valentine fell in February near this festival for a reason, but there really isn't any conclusive evidence to prove it. After all, the earliest record of Lupercalia was in the third century and the last record was the fifth century, whereas the earliest record of Valentine's Day is around the 14th century. So that is a pretty massive gap. Whether you believe it might be related or not, it's still pretty fun to think about. A lot of love and care goes into making Easter baskets fun for your loved ones, and Care Bears can make them even more Hey, Dudley Rabbit here. Easter's almost here. Remember those Easter's with the big poofy dresses? Oh. <laughs> and the big pink bows that mom had to have just perfect? Easter is another holiday that, though Christianity has come to associate with the resurrection of Jesus, it used to mean something entirely different. Equinoxes, for those of you that may not know, happen in late March and late September. These are the days when the sun is exactly above the equator, making the day and night the same length. The solstices are in late June and late December and mark the days when the sun's path in the sky is the farthest north or south of the equator. In other words, the shortest day of the year is the winter solstice and the longest day is the summer solstice. Easter, as you may guess from these approximate dates, used to be a celebration of the spring equinox. These celebrations have taken on different traditions all across the world as well. It's said that in Iran, the festival of Noris is shortly before the spring or vernal as it's called in Latin equinox, which means new day. A lot of cleaning is done, broken items are repaired, homes are repainted and flowers are gathered and displayed. Talk about a spring cleaning, right? The Iranian new year begins on the day of the equinox and people will often celebrate by going on a picnic with loved ones. For the ancient Egyptians, the festival of Isis was a celebration of spring and rebirth. It was held every time the Nile began to rise when Isis, one of the most important goddesses of ancient Egypt, was mourning her lover Osiris. And her tears were symbolically filling the river. And of course, we can't forget about Passover. After all, the Last Supper, the night before Jesus's arrest was essentially a Passover feast. The New Testament describes it as being given a new significance by Jesus as it came to symbolize the sacrifice he would make in death. Since Jesus's arrest and execution occurred during Passover, according to the Bible, it's no wonder that these two spring traditions are intertwined. In addition to the festivals and celebrations themselves, some sources add that a lot of the fun about Easter also has pagan roots. Bunnies are a leftover from the pagan tradition of Eoster, a great Northern goddess whose symbol was a rabbit or hare. Exchange of eggs is an ancient custom celebrated by many cultures. Hot crust buns are very ancient too. 
In the Old Testament, we see the Israelites baking sweet buns for an idol and religious leaders trying to put a stop to it. The early church clergy also tried to put a stop to sacred cakes being baked at Easter. In the end, the face of the defiant cake baking pagan women, they gave up and blessed the cake instead. Easter eggs are often seen as representing fertility and birth, and the tradition of eating lamb for dinner is also said to come from the Jewish tradition of Passover since it was often used as a sacrificial animal. Regardless, the theme of new life and resurrection became intertwined, and that's the reason why in 325 AD, the first major church council, the Church of Nicaea, decided that Easter should fall on the Sunday following the first full moon after the spring equinox. Not only is this why the date moves, but why Easter festivities are called movable feasts as well. Now, before we continue on to talk about one of my favorite holidays, Halloween, let's take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. The blue light glasses that started it all. Five years ago, Felix Gray realized it and set out to create eyewear that would improve daily screen time. And since then, Felix Gray has been on a mission to create a better relationship with you and your technology. Whether you're heading back to the office, back to school, or back to whatever, you can count on Felix Gray to be there for you. Now, I have the Volta pair of Felix Grays in the color black, and I absolutely love them. Now, I got them with no prescription, but there's a lot of things you can do with your lenses. Felix Gray has non-prescription, prescription, readers, kids' glasses, sunglasses, and even sleep glasses. I like them for the stylish factor. I don't know if you guys remember those old like 3D movie glasses you could get at the theater and like in high school, the late 2000s, early 2010s, we would all punch them out and wear them lensless. Like the Volta pairs remind me of exactly that, but like more grown up. I am recreating my wardrobe to start having more of a dark academia vibe because that's my favorite fashion style and glasses for me are part of that fashion statement. So these Volta pairs were absolutely perfect for what I needed. So if you wanna try some Felix Grey glasses of your own, make sure to visit felixgrayglassescom slash prism. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash prism. Halloween is a holiday that's done the rounds for sure. It was once a pagan holiday, then albeit debatedly turned into a Christian one, and now it's pretty largely seen as a pagan one once again. Samhain was an incredibly important Celtic fire festival celebrated on October 31st. This was in a way like New Year's since it carried the whole concept of the old becoming new. Around this time, crops were gathered and stored, and as it was the last day of the year, souls of the departed would return to their former homes and spirits from the other world, and they were visible to mankind. The Celtic year had four festivals each year for each season, none of them connected to the sun cycle, but this one was the most important. It was so important, in fact, that failure to participate was believed to result in punishment from the gods, usually in illness or death, according to one source. Because the Celts believed that the barrier between worlds was breachable during Samhain, they prepared offerings that were left outside villages and fields for fairies or she. It was expected that ancestors might cross over during this time as well, and Celts would dress as animals and monsters so that fairies were not tempted to kidnap them. Another famous story is that of Stingy Jack, who apparently invited the devil to have a drink with him, only to trick him into turning into a coin. 
Though Jack eventually freed him, it was under the condition that he would not take his soul. When he died, the devil sent Jack off to the dark night with only a burning coal. Jack put it in a carved out turnip, creating the first ever Jack-o'-lantern, or so the story goes. It's also believed that bonfires were lit and people wore ugly masks and disguises to confuse spirits and stop them from going after those that may have disliked them during their lifetime. The tradition of leaving food may have come from offering hospitality to ancestors as well. As for the apples and that whole thing with apples and Halloween, it's said to come from the Roman festival of Pomona, the goddess of fruits of the tree, especially apples. The origin of Halloween menus, many of which include apples, may come from this period. Of course, as Christianity spread, they weren't all that thrilled by these celebrations. And Pope Boniface IV in the fifth century moved the entire holiday to May 13th and specified it as a day to honor saints and martyrs. So even though All Saints was in May, it was eventually brought back to November 1st, a day later, and All Souls Day on November 2nd. The games, food, drink, practically every custom we see on Halloween really originates from this original celebration. The church has tried to stop these celebrations from time to time, namely by banning bonfires altogether, but it really didn't stop much at all. Guising, dressing up, and calling on neighbors for food and drink began around the 16th century, as well as getting all the closer to Halloween as we know it. And of course, Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos, I'm sorry if I butchered that, has its roots in Aztec culture, and it too was changed when the Spanish conquered the Aztec empire in the 16th century. The Catholic Church moved indigenous celebrations and rituals to All Saints and All Souls Day, though it's widely believed that the rituals honoring the dead were originally held in August. The Day of the Dead originated from the belief that when a person dies, they travel to the land of the dead and have to get through nine challenging levels to get to their final resting place. Family members would provide food, water, and even tools to assist the dead on the long journey they had ahead of them. In medieval Spain, people would bring wine and bread as well as cover graves with flowers and light candles to illuminate a dead soul's way back home. In the 16th century, Spanish conquistadors brought these traditions with them. Though these practices were mostly within rural indigenous areas of Mexico, in the 1980s, it began spreading into the cities and in recent years, it's become more visible and popular even within the US. And just as Day of the Dead has become more popular, there's been a revival of Samhain too. Wiccans, those belonging to a religion practicing witchcraft and nature worship, have embraced the holiday and adopted traditional fire ceremony. And I just think this is overall something that's just really cool to see so many different beliefs circulate and this remembrance still happening to this day. So I actually really, really love what's happening with Halloween. Carnival also has its roots in paganism as well as just plain survival too. Before Lent, but after Christmas, heavy food consumption was necessary to ward off shorter days of winter. During Roman times, people along the Rhine River in Germany celebrated the end of winter with a festival to the wine god Dionysius. When regions along the Rhine were Christianized, the heathen festival was integrated into the church calendar and developed into what later became known as Carnival. The celebration takes place six weeks before Easter, just before the period of fasting or Lent begins. The days before Easter are, at least according to the church, meant to be a quiet, reflective time as a way to remember Jesus's suffering. So before that quiet time begins, there's carnival, the rowdy partying and festivity that takes place in so many Roman Catholic communities. And though you might think the church would loathe carnival, they actually tolerated it, apparently regarding it as a compromise for the quiet time during Lent. There are some darker aspects to carnival as well, or at least some darker moments throughout history. 
During the 18th and 19th centuries, anti-Semitic views were prevalent. Rabbis of Rome's Jewish communities were taunted and abused by crowds, forced to wear clothes and costumes that would invite jeering. Now, Carnival in the Caribbean, on the other hand, has a totally different origin story. Although it started with Italian Catholics, then spread to the French and Spanish that brought the traditions to the Caribbean, it gets a bit more complicated than that. In the 18th century in Trinidad and Tobago, French settlers brought the Fat Tuesday Masquerade party tradition with them to the island. Yet it was the dressing in masquerade, music, and dancing that became a crucial part to carnival celebrations. One source writes, by the beginning of the 18th century, there were already a large number of free black people in Trinidad, along with French immigrants, early Spanish settlers, and British nationals. The island came under British control in 1797. This resulted in Carnival's transformation from an implanted European celebration to a more heterogeneous cultural tradition that included influences from all ethnic groups. With the end of slavery in 1834, the now completely free populace could outwardly celebrate their native culture and their emancipation. From Trinidad and Tobago, Carnival spread to many other islands where the tradition fused with the unique local cultures. While all of them celebrate with costumes and dancing, you can experience a different flavor of carnival depending on where you visit, from salsa showcases in Antigua to calypso music in the Dominica. Some celebrations have even moved off the Easter calendar and are celebrated in late spring or summer. Carnival has spread throughout the world and taken on many different forms. I'm sure some of my US viewers know how popular it is in New Orleans especially. Though Mardi Gras and Carnival are used interchangeably and the feeling of festivity may be similar, Carnival is what we just discussed above, the time to be merry before the fasting of Lent. Whereas Mardi Gras, French for Fat Tuesday, always takes place on the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, marking the beginning of Lent. Carnival takes different forms in Europe as well. In Sweden, demon masks are worn and large bells are clanged to drive out evil spirits. And in Switzerland, there are burning bundles of pine wood that are taken to the streets and just bonfires everywhere. So I bet their firemen have their work cut out for them that day. Of course, just as carnival has changed, Lent has changed throughout the years too. Lent used to mean only eating one meal a day and reflecting on Jesus's fasting in the wilderness. Now fasting consists of giving up social media, soda, alcohol, or other pleasurable activities. Though I'm not so sure that's what the 5th to 9th century Christians had in mind when the tradition was formed, holidays as well as traditions, be it pagan or Christian or anything else, continue to evolve over time. But with that being said, that's where we're gonna end today's episode of Prism of the Past. I know this one was a little shorter and I just kind of wanted to talk just a little bit and just touch the surface on how many of these traditions really just bend and weave in between each other. And it's not just one solid thing like Christianity made this or someone else made this or whatever. It's all just kind of this big melting pot of stuff. And I just think it's really cool. I know this was a pretty surface level look at all of this. There's a lot more historical detail that goes into each of these, but I thought it was interesting to go through and I hoped you felt the same. So if you did enjoy today's episode, make sure that you are liking, following, and subscribing so you can stay up to date on all the recent episodes. And if you wanna connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure to click my Linktree link for all of my social media and other projects that I'm involved in. As always, thank you so much for spending some of your time here with me today. I appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.